Welcome to the Stockout. This is your show at FreightWaves for all things related to the consumer packaged goods industry, the CPG industry. This is an important uh, constituent in the freight transportation industry. It makes up about one-fifth of all freight transportation. And so we set uh, some time aside each week to go through um, you know, what's happening in the CPG industry and how that relates to all the data that we have at uh, FreightWaves, go through the news, go through some uh, what's happening in, in the world of, of, of freight. So going to do that today. I'm also going to focus today on what's happening uh, as it relates to health and CPG. Really a lot of news in the last uh, week related to um, you know, various regulations designed to keep people you know, healthier, fitter, lighter, and what CPG companies might have to do to um, you know, respond to those, to those changes. I mean, both in the U.S. and the UK. So I'll talk about those things and also give an update on some of what's happening in the world of freight transportation. Um, you know, like I always do, I'll talk a little bit about butter prices, which um, hitting new highs. So talk about those things. Um, but first, I'd like to give a thanks to our sponsor, which is RJW Logistics Group. RJW owns and operates every step of the middle mile. As an asset-based integrated logistics company, they offer a full suite of retail supply chain solutions under one roof including industry-leading retail consolidation that consistently delivers over 98% on time and in full month after month to many retailers. RJW's programs offer global suppliers control and transparency, helping them improve in-stocks, achieve retailer compliance, grow market share, and increase sales. Visit rjw.com to optimize your supply chain today. So big thanks to RJW Logistics Group. If you wanted to hear directly from their CEO, Kevin Williamson, you can go back about three or four weeks in the stock out, um, had a good interview with with him. Uh, talked through you know how that company uh, specifically can help uh, CPG uh, you know companies as well as some other uh, strategies. Uh, so with that, I'll get into CPG news and uh, have going to start out with three news stories related specifically to health and CPG. So the first topic is the FDA Food and Drug Administration is proposing changing the definition of healthy as it relates to um, what CPG companies can call uh, things that are healthy. So it turns out um, CPG companies can't call anything they feel like healthy. Uh, Kellogg would not get away with calling uh, you know, Pop-Tarts uh, you know, healthy, uh, nor should they, but there are specific um, you know, rules. And really, um, this was something that FDA uh, required uh, since uh, 1994 when they first gave uh, the word healthy their own definition. And, and really, in most of the time, you know, since then, they've focused on fats and saturated fats. And really, um, in the you know, more recent years, the um, you know, focus on fat has really lessened as, as far as um, you know, something to stay away from. And really, um, what's focused, you know, the more, the more the focus is on now is, is sugars. Are people getting too much sugar, uh, which contributes to obesity? Are people getting too much sodium, uh, which contributes to uh, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, et cetera? So um, what FDA is now uh, proposing, which they did in about a 100-page um, you know, government you know, document, since the government can't do anything in less than 100 pages, they uh, you know, talked about pr- placing limits on not only saturated fats, but also sugars, sodium, and then um, you know, also foods have to have the equivalent of either serving of vegetables, grains, dairy, or protein. So there has to be some positive um, you know, impact uh, in order to call something healthy. It can't just be okay. We avoided all the all the negative things, and hopefully, um, this does not penalize uh, certain food uh, categories like uh, fish, avocado, nuts that are fairly high in fat. I know there's a 
um, uh, you know, disagreement between the FDA and Luna, the, you know, the Luna bars that are owned by Cliff, which has since been acquired by Mondelez. Those, those bars had, you know, nuts in them. So they were high in fat, did not meet the definition of, you know, healthy. Um, somebody could not even imply that they, that that uh, food product was, was healthy. FDA says high in fat. Luna says, well, sure they are. Um, they have nuts in them. Those are good fats. And so that's just kind of one example of, you know, something that might change with a CPG. So there could be some CPG um, items that are not currently allowed to be called healthy that, you know, will be later on. There are some that, you know, maybe low in fat, high in sugar and salt that are not going to be allowed to, to be called you know, healthy unless they change um, their in, in ingredient list. So I think that could have a pretty big impact. You know, topic number two, which is also related to health and CPG, is the White House um, now is, you know, has a plan to include changes to labeling um, certain uh, CPG uh, products. And so, you know, last week, uh, the Biden administration hosted a summit on hunger as well as nutrition. So this is the first uh, sort of summit of its kind um, in many years, I guess, the, since the, the Nixon administration. And uh, really a lot of different, uh, you know, prongs to this approach. So there was a lot of, um, you know, public-private commitments that were uh, discussed. A lot of CPG companies are really on, on board with that. I and mean, companies like you know, Tyson, um, really large, uh, you know, list, those are going to commit um, uh, an amount to exceed $8 billion um, for things like, you know, fighting hunger, uh, providing transportation from people that live in food deserts, to places where healthy foods are more plentiful. So a lot of these are really noble um, you know, intentions here uh, includes a lot, include a lot of things like ex expanding uh, SNAP um, and, and the WIC programs, you know, getting more uh, money for food for, for children uh, programs, uh, you know, those, 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 those type of programs. Um, the thing that stuck out to me is maybe having the biggest impact is, um, you know, it has to do with labeling. And we have a, a, a example of a label there. So, this is a label you don't see in the U.S. This is a label um, that you would see in, uh, you know, the U.K., certain countries in Europe. And this would go on the front of the packaging rather than that black and white uh, label or maybe in addition to the black and white label that goes on the back of the packaging. And so the idea is I have a bunch of items to buy. I have kids that are distracting. I want to know quickly what is healthy and what's not this stoplight approach, I can see, um, you know, this thing, okay, it's low in fat, but it is high in sugar. I don't know if I want to buy it if it's high in sugar. Uh, salt kind of in the middle, maybe I'm a little bit concerned about uh, salt, but, um, you know, so I'm trying to cut back on sugar. I, I don't want to buy this product. So this is what the UK health minister uh, recommends using right now. Yeah, it's just easier to digest, quicker to digest. And uh, the Consumer Brands Association, the CBA, which is a, a brand association that you know, represents a lot, you know, it's, it represents the C CPG industry. Um, you know, really most of its members are, you know, CPG, um, you know, packaged food as well as other, you know, um, types of, of packaged goods. I'm going to read this quote from Sarah Gallo. Uh, she's the vice president of product policy at the CBA, which represents CPG industry. As the administration proceeds, we urge against implementing policies that may inadvertently hurt consumers, especially in the volatile economic environment that has caused a spike in the cost to manufacture grocery products. She continued, focusing on the incentive-based and voluntary initiatives such as voluntary interpretive front-of-pack labeling schemes that are fully backed by extensive research has the potential to positively affect our shared hunger, nutrition, and health policy goals. And so CBA doesn't like it. Um, you know, they say, well, this, this isn't based on research. It's just kind of based on what makes us feel good. They say, um, you know, if this you know, changes... 
uh, you know, it's packaging is just going to add costs. Those added costs are just going to, um, you, you know, make the margins you know thinner for CPG companies, which is just ultimately going to cause costs cost to get passed on to consumers. No argument there when she says that uh, the prices to manufacture uh, groceries have gone up in the, in the last year. I mean, they've, they've gone up more in the last year than I think consumers have even seen. You know, seen margins can, can contract. Um, you know, you, you sort of think about how this might impact uh, CPG companies. And, you know, like the topic earlier, this could cause CPG companies to change their ingredient list. Maybe they want to take sugar out of those those you know packets so that that sugar that was red that I showed earlier is is is, is now green. You know maybe they're going to be multiple uh, SKUs where you have the original uh, package that is just as it is now, and you add an SKU that has that all, all green, all that that clean label that some consumers are willing to pay more for. Um, you know the uh, clean label one probably won't taste as good. It, it rarely. You know, does but these are the type of things that I think CPG companies should think about. You know, adding SKUs always complicates uh, supply chains. It's one of the things that a lot of CPG companies have tried to get away from during the the pandemic. They've gone to um, you know smaller number of SKUs and really the ones that have sort of sold uh, the, the the best. Um, and I think it could cause uh, companies to play games with the serving size. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly how the serving size is going to be addressed. If those labeling requirements, uh, you know, come to fruition, um, but it also always seems like that's something that the companies sort of play games with. You see a big bag of chips, and your serving size is four chips. It never really seems realistic. So I think um, you know it needs to include some uh, standard that the you know, government oversees for for, for those um, you know, serving sizes as well. So those are two health-related uh, things, and there's a third that just went into effect in the UK. October first, so this will impact uh, companies that um, you know do business in, in the UK, of course. And these are um, you know basically additional steps. It's 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 almost you know basically what the Biden administration proposed, and you know goes beyond that. So these are regulations designed to curb you know obesity in the UK. Uh, British regulations that are now into effect on how health unhealthy foods can be displayed um, after and these, these regulations were delayed about seven months, just went into effect. And so foods above a certain uh, threshold of fat, sugar, and salt can no longer be marketed or merchandised in certain ways. So these, these uh, food products can no longer be near checkout counters, near entrances, or positioned at the end of aisles. I guess the thought process is there. There's more impulse purchases. There's more um, you know, likely to have kids pulling at your uh, pants to get you to buy those um, those products. Um, and, and so if you don't have those, you know, just end up buying fewer of those products. Uh, there's also uh, regulations that are forthcoming, discouraging things like buy one, get one free programs that would encourage consumers from buying too many of those programs. And then there's also restrictions for online food and restaurant offering things like free refills of sugary beverages. So it is pretty widespread. I also believe there's um, you know, changes to when you can market certain of those products, like during primetime you know, television or television that can reach consumers. So it, it, it almost does seem like the UK is treating uh, CPG items that are not deemed healthy as kind of the new the new cigarettes. Um, I'm going to read this quote uh, from Richard Walker. He's the head of Iceland uh, as a major UK supermarket chain. The rule will cost us millions. I mean, it's complete madness. And actually, it will do nothing to curb obesity. Obesity is an issue, of course, and we should tackle it, but there's very little evidence 
to say doing this will help. Consumers will find will find what they want. It will just be a little bit more confusing. And when they buy, um, and when the multi-buy legislation comes into effect next year, it'll lead to less choice and higher costs. And so, um, kind of like the last one, another thing that the industry, um, you know, regulation the industry, you know, does not uh, does not want. So, uh, you know, all those things could have uh, you know pretty big you know impact. And um, this next topic there is, you know, how is the CPG industry you know, going to um, respond to some of these regulations? You mentioned that a, a little bit CPG companies might have to change their formulas. You don't want to be an outlier, I think, if you're trying to sell certain uh, cereal box and the one very next to you is all green and you have a similar one uh, that's, that, that, that's red. You're probably going to have to change your formula, do something uh, to, to make yours not seem uh, unhealthy. I think some CPG products is just going to hurt sales. You look at a company like Kellogg, which you know is being split into three companies. The, the higher growth of those companies is the snacking business, which is trying to expand internationally, selling things like Pop Tarts, Cheez Its, Pringles to a lot of international markets um, where they do not have as much penetration. Uh, they're going to be stuck with a big, you know, red um, and yellow label. I think on a lot of those products that are high in in, in sugar and, and and really don't um, you know offer a lot of nutritional values. So that could hurt sales, um, you know, for 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 them. Uh, cost of products could increase. I think that's true. And then the multiple SKU things, I think, is is a real um, something that the CPG companies might have to consider to um, you know, keep their products low for a certain clientele and, and also differentiate them for maybe a little bit higher end uh, clientele. Uh, so that's uh, your update on health and CPG. That is a, a, a lot in one week on that uh, topic, but I think it's an important topic. And uh, you know, with that, I want to sponsor, um, thank our sponsor a, a second time, RJW Logistics Group. If you didn't hear the, the first part of the, the, the show, um, are you assessing the advantages of prepaid versus collect freight management for delivery into retail? RJW's retail consolidation program achieves over 98% on time and in full to ensure a stronger shelf presence, increased in stocks, retailer compliance, and overall retail supply chain improvement. Visit rjwgroup.com to speak with a retail logistics expert about the advantages of RJW's program and to make the best decisions for your business. So again, big thanks to RJW Group. Um, you know, one of those topics that I mentioned, uh, the advantage of prepaid versus collect, uh, they have a lot of thoughts on that. So if, if, if that's something of interest, um, definitely check out the, the recent um, Stockout uh, you know, episode. About, I guess it was about a month ago um, we did that. And um, you know, contact the company. Uh, they'll, they'll tell you all about it. Uh, topic number five here, still on a CPG before we get to freight. Um, you know, high butter prices are expected to persist. So butter prices may not be something that you know, you think a lot about, I don't think a lot about it, but they are up 25% year over year. It's the second most uh, inflationary food pro uh, item currently just behind eggs. And that compares to overall uh, food at home inflation of 13 to 14%, which of course has been a huge burden on um, you know, those people that eat food. Uh, inventories of cold butter at their lowest level since 2017 uh, built up. Um, they usually build up those inventories early in the year uh, for cold butter, and then they're brought down later in the year because people do more baking in the fall months and the winter months. Which never thought about that before, but it makes sense. Um, you know, people baking, you know, Thanksgiving uh, uh, pies and, and and so forth. Um, so manufacturers are instructing retailers not to discount their current inventory because you may run out. Uh, and, and may not be able to supply them with more butter. So keep your prices high if you happen to be a retailer uh, listening to this on, 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 on butter. And some of the reasons why 
um, you know, the, it's expected by a lot of the industry that uh, butter prices are going to stay high. It's really the, about the, the cow population. Um, the all-important cow, cow population is at its lowest level since 2016, which I assume is related to the fact that meat prices have been so highly inflationary the past couple of years. Ranchers have gotten more for their cows. Uh, lead, leads to, to, to fewer cows, which leads to lower milk. And then um, what I've learned about the milk, um, primarily from this Wall Street Journal article, is that the milk bottlers get first dibs on milk and then um, next is ice cream and, and, and cheese. Assuming that's you know who pays the most gets the, 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 high, the first dibs and, and maybe buying the highest quantity. And then butter makers sort of get what's left over. So Butter bakers uh, sort of get the, the the residue, and then the other issue has been, uh, like everything, uh, labor. Where butter churners maybe have enough labor for the first um, shift, but not a, a, a second uh, shift. So um, stock up on butter if you need that for uh, you know baking going into your baking uh, season. Uh, next, I'll go to our, our freight update. And I'd like to bring up the uh, sonar chart uh, that shows the contract to uh, contract to spot spread, which is declining but still elevated. And so, uh, what these show is on the the left shows the the dry van uh, spot rate spread, um, excluding fuel. And so, what we're doing there is we're just taking contract rates and we're subtracting spot rates. And normally, you uh, spot rates are higher than contract rates. Uh, if you sort of look at the left side of that left chart, it was up in the 20 to 40% range, and now it's down at negative 60. Well, that's that's very unusual. Uh, we don't think that's sustainable. Um, it is narrower than it was uh, in the summer when it was down at, at 80 cents, but you can see on the chart on the right, which shows spot rates in white, how just how, how sharply those dropped off from the beginning of the year. They, they dropped from about $3.20 a mile um, excluding fuel, um, you know, we take fuel out of that uh, calculation to, to 209. Uh, meanwhile, contract rates uh, kind of plateaued for most of the year. Um, you know, we're about three dollars in May, and, and have since come down to 269. So you have this sort of negative uh, 60 cent spread. You know, if I'm a CPG company, this is maybe the chart that I'm looking at very closely when I'm determining well. You know, is, is some of my business, um, should, should some of my contract uh, business go to the spot market to save a little bit of money? And then also when, you know, I'm negotiating rates, uh, you know, I want to look at the spot uh, market in, you know, my particular lanes and overall to see, well, you know, how much room is there to negotiate uh, for, for lower rates? And that data suggests there's quite a lot of, uh, you know, room. Um, you know, I think some of the, the, the Wall Street analysts are starting to catch on to to, to, to this, just um, you know, notice that uh, Key Bank had a big uh, you know sector call. Uh, Todd Fowler is the um, the analyst there. He always asks lots of uh, you know good questions on, on, on analyst calls. I think he's um, you know very knowledgeable, and um, you know he was talking also about uh, truckload rates, our truckload contract rates, you know coming down uh, to follow with uh, the thirty percent or so decline in in in, in spot rates. Um, he was referencing the, the spot rates on the the truck stop. You know, dot com. So I think CPG companies should um, you know, keep uh, monitoring uh, that uh, data on, in the truckload market. And I'll give, uh, to finish up here, I'll give, a, let's say, a five-minute overview of what's happening in the rail industry for those that uh, ship via rail uh, intermodal. have a, a chart on uh, domestic uh, container loaded volume. You see there um, seasonality chart. And that, that latest dip is what happened with 
uh, just preparations ahead of the the, the strike. And uh, you know, Norfolk Southern, you know, closed some uh, terminals to ingating, caused a big dip. Uh, it's kind of recovered to where we were the past two years, or um, at least in, in line with where we were, you know, in 2021 and 2019. We're we're below that green line, which is 2020, which was. Um, an extraordinarily uh, strong, uh, you know, year. Uh, some of the other updates here in uh, rail is uh, BNSF just announced that their um, it plans to build a 1.5 billion dollar Southern uh, California facility. So this is going to be all the way in Barstow, uh, which is in the California's high desert. It's about 80 miles further inland than Ontario, so it is quite a ways from. Uh, the ports of uh, LA Long Beach get there via the Alameda uh, corridor, and it's going to serve, um, you know, some, some different, um, you know, purposes. But an intermodal facility, warehousing, and transloading from international containers into domestic containers. Uh, so it's it's the type of thing where you sort of look at that investment and say, well, this is probably related to that joint announcement that um, was re- was released some time ago uh, between uh, Burlington Northern and JB Hunt, where they're both investing a lot in their respective uh, domestic intermodal capabilities. You have to look at that and say, well, you know, JB Hunt has uh, volumes that are um, you're going to going to rise. And, uh, you know, for all we hear about, you know, shifting trade patterns to the to the U.S. East Coast, I mean, this is, these are the type of um, in investments that um, make you think, well, maybe L.A. and Long Beach are really going to, you know, maintain that, you know, let's say 40% market share of, of, of inbound, uh, you know, containers. And, and so, um, you know, it could be, uh, you know, pretty, uh, you know, impactful uh, there. Uh, so we have an article, um, Joanna Marsh, um, editorial writer that follows rails, have, has an article up on uh, FreightWorks.com. Um, also want to highlight an article that I think is really, uh, was really well done, written by Rachel Premack. And so the, the title of that article, uh, you know, there it is, Railroad Executives Want to Eliminate Conductors and Exhausted Rail Workers Are Terrified. So um, uh, Rachel interviews some uh, frontline rail workers and uh, really sort of goes through the sort of the point counterpoint of this issue of, you know, do there still need to be, you know, two man crews or two person crews in a train consist? Can it go to a one person uh, crew? Sort of the point counterpoint there is technology has advanced so much that you don't need, uh, you know, two workers in each uh, train, you know, a locomotive engineer and a conductor is maybe redundant because of the technology called positive train control, which is designed to stop a train in the event of a human uh, error, you know, such as, you know, the switch is wrong or the uh, train's traveling too fast, um, you know, th- things of things of that nature. Uh, some of the employees, uh, you know, push back and say, well, you know, what if the um, locomotive engineer is incapacitated, um, has a medical issue, uh, you know, speed counts in those type of situations. Um, and, and so they, they, they do bring up some points there. Uh, the class one rails uh, want the conductors to mainly stay in the staging yards and the rail, rail yards working on obviously staging the, the, the trains. And um, that would be one thing that, you know, I think you could argue either way that, that this could be good or bad for, um, you know, attracting workers to the industry. I mean, on the one hand, rail workers that get home every night, you're going to attract more to those workers. um, But it's just one more thing. If they change those work rules, require fewer workers, you know, the the, prospective employees think, well, this is just a declining industry. I don't want to join. Um, I, you know, I don't want to join it if if there's going to be fewer workers, um, you know, year after, uh, you know, year after year. 
Um, and, and, and really, there was one you know, great quote in there where, where one worker talked about how um, you know, he suspected that the, the railroads want to um, you know, change the, the work rules um, in order to, to pull from you know, a, a group of uh, conductors and then the conductors would be further away from, from home. And, and the rail's objective is to make their job um, so miserable that uh, the conductors would um, you know prefer one man crews, um, and so they don't have to spend as much time away. So the so at least that worker that was was quoted, um, you know, suspicious of the the, the class one railroads uh, motive, and I, and I do think you know that's just one anecdote, but it also speaks to I think really the widespread press, widespread morale issues uh, currently plaguing the rail industry. Normally, the rail volume recovers; they have no problem you know hiring back the people that were. Uh, you know, furloughed, or um, you know, during the the the, the most recent um, you know volume downturn, rails really haven't been able to do that. Uh, you know, this time, um, you know, lots of I think employees left with a um, you know, bad taste in their mouth. There's lots of disagreement over over sick days, um, you know, et cetera. Um, but definitely check out uh, Rachel's uh, article. In the last few seconds here, I just want to highlight that um, if uh, CPG companies, their supply chains, I also spend a lot of time talking about rail intermodal. If any of that is helpful to you, uh, please go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout and sign up for my newsletter. Um, try to get out about two of those newsletters um, you know, every week. And with that, um, you know, hope everyone has a great uh, Monday.